Thank you, Steve. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service, so I hope you have your Bibles handy. We'll get them out and we're going to turn to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. We'll start with prayer. Lord, as we gather together here during the Advent season, we're reminded that we're in anticipation of your return. And we're talking about your first coming. We're talking about how you've come into each of our lives and the role that you play for each of us. And Lord, uh, eventually your return in power to this earth. Lord Jesus, we want to get to know you better. We want to know what you're all about as much as our human minds can fathom. So help us today as we study the scripture and give us a clearer picture of who you are and uh, what you've done for us. So thank you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, Colossians chapter 1 is one of my favorite passages. And I'd like to take the time to focus on it a little bit today. I'll bring some other scriptures into it as well. But I think that this is one of the chief passages in the Bible that explains to us about Jesus, exactly who he is. You know, he has been a person of controversy down through millennia now. He arrived on this earth some 2,000 years ago, and ever since he departed, people have debated. <laughs> First of all, did he ever exist? And if he, if he did, who was he? Well, what purpose did he serve? Uh, and was he who he claimed to be? Now, we believe that he was exactly who he claimed to be. We have faith in that and, and belief and trust in that. But so many other people have questions in their mind. They have doubts. They have criticisms. They, you know, they, they look at uh, Jesus with uh, debate and with uh, negativity. And, uh, but yet this scripture opens up so much truth to us. In Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, it's obvious that the Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus here. In fact, uh, in verse 13, it says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So talking about the Son whom the Father loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But now describing Jesus in a little bit more detail, he says in verse 15 of Colossians 1, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wow. There is just so much packed in that one passage here. 
But by studying it a little bit, as we will today, it gives us a much deeper impression and understanding of exactly who this Jesus Christ is that we worship. So let's start back here in verse 15. It says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So in other words, it's not saying that Jesus looks like God the Father, because God the Father is invisible. And Jesus Christ, up to the point of his incarnation, was invisible. It wasn't until he took on flesh that people were able to see him and interact with him. So the point that he's making here is that Jesus has the same nature as the Father. His conduct is the same as the Father. The things that he does, the things that he says, are the same that the Father would do. So that's what it means that Jesus is in the very image of the invisible God. He came to represent the Father. I like the way that it's also said, uh, hold your place and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says it this way, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when you think of radiance, you know, I think of maybe sunlight. And I tend, you know, this time of the year, I wake up early in the morning. I'm usually up around six or so. And, uh, you know, outside my bedroom window faces the east where the sun rises. And before you see the sun, the actual orb come up over the horizon, you start to see the rays of the sun. And the rays of the sun kind of symbolize what Jesus was or is. You know, he comes as the rays of the sun come from the sun itself. And you know that when you start to see the sky lighten up and, you know, the rays of the sun, well, the sun's about to rise. That's the relationship of Jesus to the Father. You know, he emanates from the Father. Uh, when you see Jesus, you know that the Father's there because Jesus represents the Father. He's got the same nature, uh, same character. Uh, so it's God in the flesh is what it is. And that's what Jesus came to represent. And he did represent that fully and perfectly. So in Jesus, the invisible is made visible. And thank God that he did it that way. Because some of the concepts of God are hard to understand. You know, theologians debate these sorts of things from time to time, and I've read a lot of books on theology and studied it quite a bit, and some of the concepts are rather mind-numbing, and you can't put your, put your arms around it and wrap your head around it. But isn't it a great idea that God chose to come to this earth in the flesh as a human, to be born like we were born, to be raised by parents the way we were raised, you know, to, to have to, to deal with the difficulties of life day in and day out. Now, that's a kind of God that we can understand, and that's a kind of God that we can believe in. He died just as we die. So that's why God planned it that way. No one has ever seen the Father, but His Son has made Him known. I like the scripture in John chapter 14 beginning in verse 8, where Jesus was talking to one of the apostles, 
and they were interested to know more about the Father. They wanted to see the Father. And Jesus said in John 14, beginning in verse 8, Well, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus came to fully represent the Father. Now, we experience that in a physical sense. You know, our children represent us. Did you ever think about that? And that's why sometimes we as parents get so bent out of shape when our kids do wrong. <laughs> because it's not only them doing wrong, but they're representing us. And I know we look at this in kind of the wrong way as a parent sometimes because we're too focused on ourselves. We always want to make sure when our kids go out in public that they dress the, way, the right way, they act the right way, they conduct themselves in a mannerly fashion because we think that it reflects on us as parents. Well, Jesus Christ was very concerned and put a lot of effort forth to represent his Father in the right way. And that gives more glory to his Father. So, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father because they're very much the same. Let's read on a little bit further here in Colossians. Not only is Jesus the image of the invisible God, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn here doesn't refer to an order of birth, but status. When it says he's the firstborn, that means he is preeminent over everything else. You know, the firstborn son of a family, he had certain rights that the others didn't have. So, such is the case with Jesus. He is first in importance or rank, preeminent over everything. Verse 16, for by him, we're talking about Jesus here, all things were created. So we go back to uh, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It talks about Jesus and his role in creation. This beautiful passage here at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, of course, refers to Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, verse 3, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So somehow Jesus took a preeminent role in the creation of the whole universe, of angelic beings, of the solar system, of earth, of everything that is on earth, including us. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So Jesus had the leading role when it came to creation. And you know what? We don't have to worry about how we ever got here on earth. I remember in my days in school, going through high school and going through college, and they would always talk about evolution. And, you know, the reason we're here today is because long ago some comet hit the earth and brought with it somehow life, and that life started in a swamp, and, you know, creatures started walking out of the swamp, and they eventually evolved into man, and I'm sitting there shaking my head. Now, you can't raise your hand and contradict the teacher, because you're asking for trouble if you do that. But I knew better. I knew how we got here. 
You know, when I think about the grand scheme of things, and sometimes I think about that, you know, why are we here on this earth? What is our purpose for being here? A lot of people live their whole lives never understanding why. Well, God has placed us here on this earth, and our whole purpose for being here is living in relationship with Him. And when it comes right down to it, we, above all other people, have understood our purpose for being here and are living it. And that's got to be one of the most fulfilling things that has ever happened to us. And we have an understanding based on God's revelation of what life is all about, what our purpose is for being here, how we got here in the first place. And we should never take that for granted. But it goes on to say that uh, here in John 1, uh, verse 10, He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And that's our future. Because we believe, because that light came into the world, and we were drawn to the light, Jesus Christ. And we believe in Him, in who He is, who He has revealed Himself to be. Back here to Colossians now. We're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. So He rules over everything. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So Jesus Christ isn't the kind of God who creates everything and then leaves and, and kind of sets it in motion and lets it run by itself. He's not like that. It says, he holds, in him all things hold together. So somehow, Jesus, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, holds his creation together. I was reading an article written by a Christian physicist. And he tried to explain this verse, and this is what he said. One of the key words in the Colossians passage is, in Christ all things hold together. It's the Greek word which means to stand together, to be compacted together, to cohere, to be constituted with. This passage can be applied to the structure of the atom, for example. The nucleus of every atom is held together by what physicists call weak and strong forces. They know that those forces are there, but they don't know why they're there. Now, we all studied enough of science to know that when you get down into the smallest piece of matter that you can find, there's an atom. And around the atom are protons and neutrons and electrons. That's as deep as I'm going to go with that today. This physicist goes on to say, the nucleus of the atom contains positively charged and neutral particles, to use a simplistic model. Mutual electrostatic repulsion between the like positive protons would drive the nucleus apart 
if it were not for the strong force which binds the nucleus together. There is thus an active force imposed on the universe, which actively holds the very atoms of the material world together moment by moment, day by day, century by century. Similarly, accelerated electrons circling the nucleus should quickly radiate all their energy away and fall into the nucleus unless there exists an invisible energy source to counteract this. So could it be, and again, this is this individual's opinion, that when we talk about Jesus holding everything together, that action goes down to the smallest atom of all creation. You know, he brought planets and constellations and suns, you take the, 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 the big picture, and then you bring it down to the smallest microscopic dot that you can analyze. And in everything, there is a power there, there is a force there, that instead of all these particles just going flying off into the air, they're being held together in a way that even scientists don't fully understand. This writer cites a scripture in uh, 2 Peter, uh, verse chapter 3, and he quotes the writings of Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. And the elements, the word that can be translated atoms, will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. So this is when God is going to destroy all of physical creation, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He says that here the Greek word translated elements in this passage uh, from Colossians is the Greek word which can mean the building blocks of the universe or the ordered arrangement of things. It can also mean the atomic elements. So when the atomic elements are dissolved, this man says, could it be at that point in time that Jesus decides to remove what he has been doing all this time since creation. Instead of holding things together, he kind of lets them go. And all of a sudden you have atoms uh, crashing into other atoms. And we know what happens when atoms are split and when they crash into other atoms. That's what happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the atomic bombs and then the hydrogen bombs. So when it comes to the uh, destruction of the physical universe, before God creates the new heavens and the new earth, is it only going to be a matter of Jesus releases his hold that he's had on all creation up to that point. And that creation destroys itself. No longer are there going to be forces holding atoms and electrons and protons together. And you talk about an atomic or a hydrogen explosion at that time, is that the way the universe will be dissolved? <laughs> And then God will go on to create a new heavens and a new earth. It's an interesting concept that this man has. But it, it kind of helps in some way to explain how Jesus holds all things together. And he's actively involved on a daily basis. If Jesus wasn't there and actively involved, neither you nor I would exist today, nor anything else. Okay, in Colossians 1, now in verse 18, it goes on to describe Jesus further. He is the head of the body, the church. And that's something that we certainly have faith in. The church is compared to a human body. 
Jesus is the head. Each Christian is a member of this spiritual body. Jesus is the head. Head means source, origin, leader, or ruler. So he is the source of the church, and he is the leader of the church. Nothing can happen in the church unless he is aware of it, and he allows it to happen. The church had its origin in Jesus, and today has its operation in him. As the head of the church, Jesus supplies it with life through the Spirit. He gives spiritual gifts to men and women and young people in the church and places them in congregations so that they can serve where they are needed. And through his word, Jesus nourishes and cleanses the church. We're going to turn to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. This is where Jesus kind of prophesied the beginning of the church. He, for all intents and purposes, started the church during his ministry with the apostles and disciples. But then with the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the church really took roots and started to grow. But Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, this is after Peter's declaration of faith. Uh, he was asking them, who do people say I am? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, now he wasn't just speaking to Peter here, he was speaking to all the apostles. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, having been raised in the Catholic Church, I know the way they look at this scripture, and I don't agree with their uh, take on it. They think that here Jesus selected Peter to be the head of the church, but there's really no scripture that proves that that's what was happening here. Uh, when he says this rock, Jesus most likely is talking about himself, or he's talking about the apostles as a group, or he might even be talking to, about Peter's declaration of faith, that the church is going to be built on people who believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So there are several different ways to look at this, but I don't believe that Jesus was selecting Peter and all of his descendants in line to be a leader of the church. If you study the history of the papacy, uh, you see that it, it is a very sordid history with uh, popes killing other popes and uh, there were times when uh, there were more than one pope leading the church and they were opposed to each other and there was a lot of intrigue and uh, sins that were committed by popes. So I don't give my allegiance today to the pontiff in Rome as the Catholic Church does. I think that Jesus was talking about something totally different here. He was focusing on the fact that he himself, as the rock, was going to lead the church. He says, I will build my church. So the church belongs to him. He's not going to uh, lose his grasp on it. He's not going to let anything happen, even though persecution does take place with the church. He promised that. He is never going to release his hold on the church and it's going to continue on, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will never die out. 
So, you know, from time to time, you know, we struggle with things that happen in the church, maybe in the local church. Uh, you know, we talk about finances and we talk about attendance and we talk about this and that, but we're reassured to know that Jesus, Jesus has got this. <laughs> he is in charge. He is directing it. He hasn't gone away on vacation or anything like that. He is intimately involved in his church and always will be. So it's very reassuring to all of us that Jesus is the head of the church. Back here to Colossians once again. Colossians chapter 1. Let's continue on a little bit further with uh, what Paul says here. My place. He is the head of the church, verse 18, the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus was not the, the first one that was ever raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead before Jesus was, and there were others too that Jesus rose from the dead. But Jesus was the first one raised from the dead to everlasting life. He was raised from the dead, glorified, as we will be eventually. So in the fact that he was the first one to be raised in glory, anybody else, including Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, eventually died again <laughs> and went to the grave. But Jesus was raised from the dead to die nevermore. And that will be very similar to our future and what will happen to us. So again, in everything he might have supremacy, and he does have supremacy in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this is big. He is the reconciler. Not only did he reconcile us to God, but he reconciled everything to God. There's a scripture in Romans that says, when Adam and Eve sinned, not only were, were they cut off from God, but it led to all of mankind to be cut off from God, and even the earth cut off from God. And it talks about a time when the earth is going to moan and groan, waiting for Jesus' return. And he will change things for the better when he comes. So Jesus not only sustains the cosmos, he also reconciled it all to God. He's taken what separated, what was separated from God because of sin, and he brought it back. He restored it. So in God's mind, there is no longer any separation. So we were cut off because of our sins, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we've been restored. We were out of relationship with God, and because Jesus' death on the cross, that relationship was restored. So he had to be incarnated. He reconciled all things through his physical body, his physical death on the cross. So imagine this Jesus, the Word of God before his incarnation. Not only did he create us all, but when we got ourselves into trouble to the point that we separated ourselves from God, this Jesus Christ wasn't the type of God who said, forget them. I'm finished with these people. They're dead to me. You know, I created them and, and gave them all these things and, and blessed them in so many ways and they totally messed it up. 
I'm done with them. And how easy it would have been for him to do that. But that's not his nature. He knew that we had to be saved. He desired for us to be saved and reconciled to him. So he didn't delegate that job to anybody else. He himself, the creator of everything, placed himself in a human body and came down to this earth to live and to die so that we can be reconciled. He is so committed to us that he wouldn't delegate this job to anybody else, but he himself, the creator, you know, the light came down to a darkened world, and for the most part, the world rejected him. But that didn't stop him from doing his job. You know, if that was me, I would have come down to earth, and everybody would have been, uh, you know, hollering at me and condemning me and persecuting me, and I would have said, forget it. I'm not going to die for you people. It's not worth it. I'm going back to heaven where life is so much better. He was committed. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the personal attacks, people trying to kill him all the time, he was going to see it through to the end. He said, you know, I brought these people into existence, and I'm going to stick with them because I love them that much. So that's what he did. Christ died, and in him we all died. Christ rose from the dead. The scripture says, and in him we all rose from the dead. Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven, and Scripture teaches us that we are all as good as there with him already for those who will accept him. I'm not teaching universalism. I'm not saying that everyone is going to be saved. We have a responsibility. We must repent. We must believe. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and we will inherit all the things that he has prepared for us. His work is already done. He's not going to die on the cross again. He did it once for all. Now it's up to us to respond to that. When we hear the gospel, we have to believe it, and we have to set our life with a focus on him, and that's what we're doing here today. We're talking about Jesus, our Savior, the one who made it possible for us to be restored to God and the one that we will be with for all eternity. And we are to share the message of what he has done. We're to preach the gospel. We're to encourage other people to believe as we believe, to understand what Jesus has done for us. But let's read on now and conclude. Firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And once we were all alienated from God, and we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. And that's one of the things that evil behavior or sin does. When we sin, we tend to be ashamed of what we've done. And we start to think we start to put thoughts in God's mind that are not there because they're human thoughts. We start to think that God is mad at us. We start to think that God is very disappointed in us. We start to think that maybe God has cast us off because we're so sinful. But God doesn't think that way. That's why he says, uh, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, not in God's mind. He never really cast you off. 
you were never really an enemy to him, as he thinks, because he loves you. God doesn't cast people off. The only reason that some people won't make it to heaven or receive their final reward is because they choose not to. They either choose not to believe or whatever their reasoning might be. They don't believe in God. Uh, they think they're, they're, they're too pitiful to enjoy these things God has in store for us. So they were alienated from God and were enemies in their own minds because of their evil behavior. And sin tends to make us think such thoughts. But that's not the way God thinks. That's the, not the way God views us. Listen, verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So there's no accusation that can be brought against any of God's children. Even though we still struggle with sin, those sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, by God's grace. So now here's an encouragement for us, verse 23. If you continue in your faith, just continue to believe. Don't let anything get in the way of your belief, your focus on Jesus Christ, and your faith in Him. So we, this is what we're called on to do, to continue in your faith. It's that simple. And you know what? We demonstrate our faith by being here today. Why have we come here today? We've come here today to worship this wonderful Savior that we have. And it's good to be in the habit of doing that because it keeps him number one in our mind. We're here to demonstrate our love to him, to show our appreciation to him, to thank him, and as I said, to worship him. So if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, and this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So, we heard the gospel, we responded to it, and you know what? We're going to continue to respond to it for the rest of our lives because we are truly God's children. We have an understanding that God has revealed to us of who we are on this earth, why we're here, and what our purpose is in life. And we're living that out. And, you know, it's a good thing that we have a church because some days we tend to falter. You know, we're experiencing tough things in our life and we get depressed and discouraged and we start asking ourselves, is it all worth it? You know, and that's why we have fellow believers here and we encourage one another. And when we see somebody low, we go up to them and give them a hug or put our arm around them and say, hey, can I pray for you? You know, let, let me lift you up. Because uh, the day is going to come where I need to be lifted up too. So that's why there's a church. That's why there's a body of believers. Because we're not lone Christians. We don't go through this journey by ourselves. God has blessed us to have fellow believers in whom have the Holy Spirit to encourage one another as we come together to worship God. So what a wonderful God we have. And, and that's why we want to worship him on a regular basis. Not just every week at church, but in our daily lives. We think about him, and we appreciate him, and we pray to him, and we, we read his word because he's our life. And I don't know about you, but I've really tried to make it a point to dedicate my life to him in everything that I do. 
And I'm encouraged to know that when I do mess up and stumble and, and sin, that his forgiveness is there for me. And it's by the grace of God that I have that. And I'll always be thankful for that. So we've seen today that Jesus is God. He certainly is. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the head of the church. He's the reconciler. And the scripture says that he's also the intercessor. He's the go-between, between us and the Father. And he's there to, to intercede for us when we need to be interceded for and to provide whatever help and whatever power and strength we might need at that time. So I'm so thankful that we don't have a God who just kind of disappears and goes off into, the, in, into uh, other areas. He is always there for us 24-7. He's always on duty. He is the good shepherd. He loves us very much. And we learn to love him back. He's an awesome God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this closer understanding of Jesus and who he is. And what would we be had it not been for your son coming to this earth to die for us? Uh, in our minds and in, in, in our sin, we would have been hopeless. We would have been cast off and lost forever. But you love us so much that you did send your son to become a human being, have two natures, fully God and fully man, but he's a God that we can relate to, Father. Thank you for that. We can hear his words, we can see his actions in your word here, and Lord, we can learn how much you love us. So help us to be appreciative of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God the Father and Holy Spirit, for the wonderful work that you do as well. We love you, we praise you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.